Georgia investigators say that the 21-year-old who they just charged with murder is talking tonight. Six of the eight people he's now accused of killing are Asian women. And if they hadn't stopped him, police believe that Robert Aaron Long would have continued on to Florida and gunned down more workers at similar businesses. Some guy came in and took the gun. So everybody heard the gunshot. Police say he walked in, started shooting, and killed four people, three of them Asian. We need to make sure if we have any Asian spies, we need to be checking on them. In the time it took to drive from the suburbs into the city, the call came into Atlanta police about another shooting at a similar business, a 24-hour spa. We do not have a witness that actually is alive right now that can tell us who, uh, who shot them. While police were trying to help people who were dying at that location, witnesses were calling them about another shooting at another 24-hour spa directly across the street. But investigators tonight now believe that the reasons behind these killings weren't as much about race and were more about violence against women. They say Long told them he was struggling with a sex addiction and was returning to punish the businesses he used to pay. He apparently has an issue, uh, what he considers a, a, a sex addiction, and it's a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate. You know what we're about to do? We're about to get real. We're about to have conversations that Christians have behind closed doors. The scary ones. The ones that make you feel uncomfortable. That's where we're going. Why? Because we're family. Ustedes son mi familia. So this is the Brian and Janelle podcast. She's Janelle and I'm Brian. If you don't want to miss anything, all you have to do is hit the subscribe button to get a notification whenever we drop a new episode. This is the Brian and Janelle podcast. We were going to talk to our friend Julie Slattery about something, but uh, we're going to actually shift gears. She wants to jump in, and we want to get her feedback on what we've been talking about. She said, the "Hold last few up!" Minutes. Oh, see, see, right <laughs> that there. That was cool. That was cool. So, joining us now to continue this discussion about the Atlanta shooting and how the shooter in Atlanta is blaming his sexual sin and temptation for his decision to kill a bunch of people is Julie Slattery. She is clinical psychologist, Akron native, co-founder of Authentic Intimacy, and host of the Java with Julie podcast. Welcome back, Julie. Good to be with you. So I'd like to get your reaction to Janelle and my thesis here in the situation where this young man wants to eliminate temptation for sexual mm-hmm. sin, so he went and killed women. And we see that uh-huh. as perhaps more indicative of a larger problem where we have a tendency as believers to blame the object of our sin rather than ourselves for our sin. Uh, help us with this. Are we okay on that? Hey, it sounds like you're okay with it, Brian. Oh, yeah! We just go back to Genesis, and what was the first thing that Adam and Eve did was Adam blamed Eve, and then Eve blamed the serpent, and there's an element of how we all do that, where we don't want to look at ourselves, we don't want to face what we've done, and we want to look at who caused us to sin, and all of our anger and rage goes towards that object. And I think there's lots of ways that plays out. Yeah, I, I think we see it in people. I hear Christians that are more angry about porn on the internet than about Christians looking at it. Right. Like, it's not yeah, the porn's the, fault the, that someone looked at it. Well, I think there's a place to be angry at sources of evil in our world and to say, hey, that's wrong, that's bad. There's a righteous anger towards that. But then you have to ask the question, why am I tempted to look at it? 
what need is it inviting us to get met through it? And uh, that's where the, the hard work begins. So I think when we sin, there's either going to be an anger towards somebody on the outside blaming, or there's going to be a self-contempt. And either one, either one is, first of all, based on some truth, but also either one of it's not taken before God is going to be destructive. So then what do we do with those things? Because we all face temptations of various types. Like one, one I also brought up is it's not the car's fault that I really want it. You know? Yeah. So yeah. so what do I do when I'm, for example, let's just forget this the sexual part of this now, when I'm I just can't stop thinking about wanting a new car. I think part of it is having a deeper understanding of sin. You know, so often we talk about sin as if it's something that's somewhat external to us. Like, wow, this thought popped up out of nowhere and now I'm coveting and I want a car. And it's like, wow, how do I get rid of that coveting? You buy the car. Again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then you're gonna then you're gonna want the next new model. You know, it just but the the thing is the reason you'll want another new one in two years is because the problem isn't the coveting, the problem is that we have disoriented hearts. And sin is not so much what we do, it's our nature within us that desires things apart from God. That is the hard work of addressing sin in our lives, because it calls us to what Jesus said is being crucified with him and dying to self. We don't want to do that. And so we look for all these superficial ways of externalizing our sin and trying to get rid of it. And what what the story is in Atlanta is a very, very extreme example of that. I know you've been talking about how it's not fair to women, but even for women, how many women are angry at their husbands and blaming their husbands or their children for the pain in their lives, and then they take it all out on on their family, on their husband or their children, instead of looking inward, and God, my heart is messed up. Call out the women, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan likes that. I don't know about that, uh, (laughs) women are great. (laughs) There you go. Man, what happened to you, Brian? (laughs) Yeah, right. Is this Brian? (laughs) Hello? We're talking to Dr. Julie Slattery from Authentic Intimacy in the Java with Julie podcast. Julie, one of the things Len and I were talking about was what do we do with the teaching that the church has been giving women in particular when it comes to sexual temptation? And mainly telling women, y'all need to dress appropriately, stop tempting men, and you know you don't want to like be a your stumbling fault. block. Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? Wow. You know, I think uh, some of this conversation goes back a couple decades when, uh, if we talk about sort of the purity culture that has been in the news a lot lately. But the problem with some of those messages is that it essentially is saying all the responsibility is on women. And women, it's your it's your job to make sure, first of all, that you don't cause men to stumble, and that second of all, um, that you protect the sexual purity, not just of yourself, but of the men around you. And it really has essentially given this message that almost like men are incapable of self-control, that they don't have responsibility for where their own eyes are going and what they're looking at and focusing on. And also that they don't take responsibility even to exercise the muscle of spiritual leadership uh, within a relationship even of saying, hey, I'm going to step up. I'm going to be the one to set the boundaries. I'm going to be the one that protects 
ear purity. And actually, that's even that's reflected more in Scripture, that men are actually called to carry more of that responsibility than even women are. So I think there needs to be a recorrection of this. Now, it doesn't mean that it takes all responsibility off of women, but I think right now we have it kind of backwards. And so what does it do? What What is it creating in the church when it comes to relationship between men and women? Well, I think, first of all, it's creating a, an environment where everything is assumed to be sexualized. And right. so all touch is sexualized. Uh, any male-female relationship, even if it's very clearly just a brother-sister relationship or you know, just a caring relationship. It's every relationship is viewed through the danger lens of something could go wrong here. And so it's making people paranoid. Uh, I've talked to single women all the time who are like, I don't even know how to have a normal conversation with a man because it always has this tension of, does he like me or do I like him? Or where do we set the boundaries? (laughs) I think in work relationships, it's like, can men and women even work together without there being this awkward tension of uh, where are our boundaries and, uh, you know, how do we protect each other? And so it's a hypervigilance that has gutted the whole idea of healthy male-female relationships, again, because everything's viewed through this sexual lens. You're the clinical psychologist. So if a guy is constantly battling lustful thoughts with every woman... He probably needs help, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's that's not the woman's issue. It's the guy's issue to say, there's something in my heart. I have learned through my own brokenness and through our culture that everything is sexual. And I've learned that I get every need met through sexualizing things. And so that's, again, a disordered heart. You know, Jesus said, your sin starts in your heart. It comes out of your mouth. It comes out of the things you do. But the problem is in your heart. Too often we want to read a book that helps us just have, you know, how do I get rid of this sin pattern or this sin pattern without really inviting the Lord to uh, to heal our wounds and to help us realize where our heart is looking at things the wrong way. You touched on something that Brian and I were like, did we talk to Julie about this? So relationships between men and women. Mm -hmm. One, Mm -hmm. when you said, you know, we over-sexualize everything, we don't even know how to work together. Is it correct for me to feel like I felt this more in the church than any other place? Like, I can function very well in corporate life, not ministry, corporate life, Mm -hmm. and you got men and women in an office and they're working on a project and it's not a big deal. Would you say that, that the church is mostly the one that struggles with this? Well, I, I think we're seeing it in the in the secular culture as well with the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. uh, with mm-hmm. sexual harassment. And and I think even in the corporate setting, I've had men ask me, is it okay to even tell somebody that their hair looks nice or, oh, oh yeah. I like that dress? Yeah. Because now everything is potentially being perceived as being out of context or are you flirting with me? So I think that, uh, that the church is more aware of it and maybe more hypervigilant with it because we recognize the potential for falling. But this is everywhere. I think, again, the Me Too movement has kind of brought that up. We don't know how to discern what is a healthy relationship. And the other thing is we don't know how to operate without acting on our desires. That's the biggest issue is that, yeah, you always have like fleeting desires to do things that aren't right. You might have a fleeting desire to do things you know aren't good for you, like 
you want to eat three donuts every day, but you learn, okay, I got to discipline myself out of that. Well, the same thing is true with the way we treat each other, the way we see each other. We are not determined by our fleeting thoughts and desires. And I think in our culture, we've got that so messed up that we do become hyper afraid of what if something goes south here. Yeah. And you know, this, this obviously leads to the, one of the more uncomfortable discussions for Christians, which Mm -hmm. is for decades, our barometer for male, female friendships is the Billy Graham rule. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've heard more women in the last few years, Christian women writing about that rule hurts me because it excludes me from, from ministry life and life in general. How do we interpret yeah. that, and, and what's your take on it? Not to put you in the hot seat, but welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, I think it's interesting that Robbie Zacharias lived by the Billy Graham rule, and that was how his ministry operated. But the exception was massages. And, uh, and so we see that as a very blatant example of a whole ministry can have a rule, but the heart has a way of getting around rules. And so the issue is the heart. The issue is, do we have people in our lives that are asking us the difficult questions? Are are we honest with the things we struggle with? Are we authentic uh, in our walk with the Lord? That's the more important thing, and rules can't be a replacement for that. I do think we need to have discernment and discretion, and there are certainly situations that, for example, I wouldn't put myself in. I wouldn't go on a long trip alone with a man. It's not wise, you know, by myself. I just, I wouldn't do that, no matter who the man was. I don't need a rule for that. Um, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't have lunch under certain circumstance with um, a business colleague or ministry partner. My husband would know about that. You know, it just, you have to use <gasps> You wisdom. would? What? You're not going to instantly start having sex I at the would. restaurant? Wow, Brian, <laughs> well, that, well, but that's what, that, that's, oh that's the picture God. painted, wow. right? Oh, Julia. Is that if you go to dinner with somebody and your husband knows about it, you're It's dead. true, yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, you took it, you took it right there, wow. didn't you, Brian? Uh, <laughs> well, but I, but that, but that's the underlying narrative. Yes. Yeah. Well, the underlying narrative is that okay, you're putting yourself in a bad position because what if you did develop feelings for each other, and if you have lunch with somebody and you you're like, man, I could be attracted to this person, then you listen to the Holy Spirit and you say, that's not a good idea. I need to have I need to have some boundaries with this person, yeah. uh, or I don't feel safe with this person. It's kind of just a weird, awkward relationship. Okay, yeah. well, with that person, I'm going to have boundaries and discernment and accountability. But again, instead of those kinds of things that cause us to grow and cause us to be in relationship with one another where we're honest, we want to put rules up. And the rules are only going to get you so far. And like women are saying, those rules actually can feel like they're reinforcing the wrong kinds of relationships because it's reinforcing the idea that every male-female relationship can potentially become romantic. Yeah, uh, we we just had somebody text, and I think we we take for granted that everyone knows what this is. They're like, "What's the Billy Graham rule?" Okay, so it's this idea that that Billy Graham lived by, which was he'd never be alone with a woman who's not his wife or his daughter, essentially. Yeah, and so people have taken that and they've they yeah. apply that to their own lives. They'll never be alone with with a woman that's not their spouse, and so uh, that that's the Billy Graham rule. So does it hurt women? Do you agree with that mm-hmm. thesis that many women have been writing about? Yeah, I think it potentially really does hurt women. I think the heart is to protect women and to protect yourself, and I get that. But I think particularly if you're in leadership, basically what you're saying is my inner circle has to be all men. 
because it's threatening to have a woman in that inner circle, to have one-on-one mentoring or to have, like, if you, if you have a woman reporting to you, how do you have a, a job review in an office? Does it mean that you have to have a man there with you? And women will use examples of, you know, guys are comfortable in leadership. Okay, let's all go on a golf trip together, yeah. camping trip together, and it excludes women from those conversations. Yeah. And so I do think there's a tension that has to be wrestled with, um, particularly within settings that are traditionally all male in leadership. Can we put you on the spot and ask you to stick around again a little bit longer this Please. week? Sure. You said you loved us. Yes. Okay. I do love you guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I mean, the next natural question is, so then what? If that does hurt women in some respects to follow the Billy Graham rule, so then what do we do? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we develop healthy relationships yeah. that aren't sexualized between men and women that aren't married? We'll get to more with Dr. Julie Slattery from Authentic Intimacy in just a minute. Hey, it's Brian. I've got one little request. Now, I'm not good at tap dancing, so I will not tap dance around it. So here it is. We need your money. Okay, that was a little direct, but it's true. We're part of Moody Radio Cleveland, and we're a listener-supported ministry. So people like you who listen to this podcast every week faithfully, and we're grateful for you, you are the ones who keep every episode coming out time and again. And it's not cheap to keep radio stations and podcasts running. So would you prayerfully consider a donation to this ministry? Super easy to do that. Go to moodyradio.org slash Cleveland. Again, moodyradio.org slash Cleveland. And you can follow links there to get your gift in safely and securely right now. Thanks. Hanging with our friend, Dr. Julie Slattery, clinical psychologist, talking through how do we deal with sexual temptation? Where is the blame? How do you handle them? And especially when it comes to relationships in the church between men and women. We mentioned the Billy Graham rule. So it does hurt women, Julie, It's especially when it comes to ministry. But you brought something up that I just wanted to kind of dig in just a little bit. One-on-one mentoring relationships. In what ways can women benefit from having men pour into them one-on-one relationships, although I know there's, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes you vulnerable. What is there to gain? Well, first of all, I don't know that we necessarily need one-on-one relationships. A mentoring relationship doesn't have to necessarily be a one-on-one relationship. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is we were really made to be in community. And within the church, we were made to be within the body of Christ, the family of God. And so I think anytime outside of a marriage, when two people kind of go off from the herd and they form this really deep bond, it's probably not healthy. And I would say that's true even with female and female relationships or male and male relationships. And so even if you're meeting with somebody one-on-one and you're learning from them, it should be within the context of the whole community. Hmm. And that's just a, a good natural relational principle. So uh, Janelle, if you and I, you and I are friends, mm-hmm. if yeah. in our friendship, we never met each other's husband. If I never introduced you to the rest of my life and we didn't share something that was more community-based, that relationship, even as a friendship, would probably end up being an unhealthy friendship. And so I, I think it's important to recognize that every single relationship is first a brother-sister relationship in the body of Christ, and it's meant to be... Uh, experienced and enjoyed with the knowledge and the context that 
you're first and foremost in community, even if you might meet one-on-one every now and then. And so I think that's an important distinction. Yeah. Well, then, then, then that being the case, I mean, this obviously leads us to, if it's possible that the Billy Graham rule of never being alone with someone of the opposite gender other than your spouse can potentially hurt women in ministry, what's the Julie Slattery rule? Give us rules. We love rules. <laughs> I don't have a rule. I don't have a rule. You know, no. I, I, think th- I don't think I answered your question, too. I'm sorry, Janelle. Let me go back to that. Yeah. Sure. You know, I, I think some of it is we need mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in our life. And I think this is particularly true for women that grew up without a father or without that influence in her life. A lot of healing and growth comes from God bringing spiritual fathers and big brothers into a woman's life. And there's things that uh, that you learn from men who pour into your life that you might not necessarily learn from a woman. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's why, I, I, again, I'm sorry I didn't answer your question, but I think that's why this is such an important thing that's lacking within the body of Christ. And when you talk about, when you ask people, like, who is the most, who are the most influential people in your life? They'll often point to those spiritual mothers and fathers that God has brought yeah. uh, on their journey. Yeah. So, um, and I know you're looking for a rule, Brian, but I like rules, I Julie. I... I want the Julie Slattery rule. <laughs> he got his pencil. <laughs> and we have people texting us like, no, no, I, I follow the Billy Graham rule. It's perfect. It works. Yeah. I like rules. Well, I think principles are better than rules. And so okay. like one of the principles I just mentioned is that all your relationships should be in the context of community. I think that's a great principle. And so you have naturally other eyes on your relationship. So again, there are a lot of female-female friendships that are really codependent and unhealthy, not because they're sexualized, but because they're not healthy relationships because they're not they're not being experienced in community. So I think that's a great principle. I think another principle is use discernment. If there's something within you that you don't have a piece about an interaction or something feels a little off or you feel really attracted to somebody that's not your spouse, use that discernment to say, okay, I have to have more boundaries with this individual. Mm. Um, and again, that's a principle. It's not a rule. I think when we set rules, again, we can find ways around those rules. When we have principles, uh, that really challenges our heart towards integrity. So you mentioned before that there could be a circumstance where you'd have like a professional lunch with a man. That's not your husband. You want her to take you out to lunch? Well, I mean, if she's buying, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, I, I, mean, I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll always take a free lunch. And I know, I, I know somebody was like gasping, right? They're like... There's a circumstance that Julie Slattery would be alone with another man. You know, the so phones like, would come up. Well, Julie, let me take this picture. Can you can you qualify that? Like <laughs> so someone saying, there's never a circumstance. First of all, I don't see that there's that in the Bible. I don't see a commandment that you should never have lunch <laughs> with somebody. Wow. And, and what happens, again, is when we take principles, biblical principles about being wise and uh, protecting each other's purity— and we make a rule out of it, it becomes legalism, especially when we put that rule on everybody else. And so, uh, again, using discernment and wisdom, under certain circumstances, I would have lunch with a colleague at a restaurant where we're not alone. It's not like having right. inviting somebody alone over my house for dinner without right. my husband being here. Like yeah. that That's a restaurant. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember, like, I remember a few years ago, I had a colleague come into town and 
we were going to have a lunch meeting with some other, you know, talk about like some church stuff. And this was a guy that was probably like 30 years older than me. Somebody I respected. And he was like, oh, I have a rule. I can't have lunch with a woman unless somebody else is there. And so we had to like call around and find somebody essentially to be a chaperone for us with this lunch. How did you feel about that? I felt like this is just odd. Like it's a one hour lunch. There's nothing, you know, it just was weird. And of course I accommodated that because that was his, that was his rule. But I think there are circumstances like that where something like that just feels off and just sort of gets in the way of, can we just work together on something without it again, having to be perceived as a dangerous thing? And I've even wondered about people in your profession being counselors, clinical psychologists, or physicians, attorneys, where Christians in those fields, like they don't have a choice, right? Mm -hmm. You you may have to have a counselee that's a male, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, again, I'm not going to meet in a building alone with somebody. Um, You're going to have other people um, in the building and you use discretion, use wisdom. If If something's off or if you feel like, hey, there's a real temptation here, then you bring in accountability. But I think we have gotten so far away from learning wisdom and discernment and having accountability that we're trying to use rules to replace those things. And God wants us to grow up. He wants us to have the kind of maturity that can reach out to a friend when when we're concerned or we're, we feel like a relationship could be dangerous. And He wants us to tell our friend, hey, will you pray for me? Will you keep me accountable? That's much harder to do than following the rule. And it seems to me that that was Jesus' primary rebuke to the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Was that they're, they were focused on laws and rules and missing the point. Yeah, they weren't growing. They weren't challenging each other's hearts. Great stuff. Julie Slattery, you are amazing. You, you've stayed late a couple <laughs> weeks. Your husband's probably like, what's wrong with these people? They keep dominating my <laughs> what's wife's What's wrong time. with you? He's probably thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're so grateful for it, and we so highly encourage folks to check out all the resources on these and other topics uh, at AuthenticIntimacy.com, where Julie Slattery is a co-founder. Thanks again, friend. We do appreciate you switching gears with us and staying late and just being generally awesome. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. It's always fun to be with you. You bet. Hey, hold up. Where are you going? You know you liked your time with us. You want more. So look down, hit that button right there, subscribe, and you'll get updated episodes and then you can hang some more. And guess what? You can help us. How? A five-star rating. You can also hang with us live weekday 6 to 9 a.m. Interact with us, talk with us. Download the Moody Radio app. Or at brianandjanelle.org. And we don't put all this together all by ourselves. There's some great people behind all this production. We want to thank Ron Eastwood, Kelly Ryder, Paul Carter, Mike Reynolds, and our awesome and fearless leader, Josue Villa. And finally, this podcast is a production of Moody Radio in Cleveland, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Well, Brian, that's a wrap. Yep.